Welcome back to Humans of Purpose. I'm your host, Mike Davis, and each week I bring you conversations with local purpose-driven leaders. Leaders creating social impact through their work and inspiring positive social change across a wide variety of sectors. Sit back, tune in, and enjoy the next 40 minutes guaranteed to inspire you with our signature blend of wisdom, experience, and banter. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. So at the Royal Children's, we've um, got a vision, a new vision, which is a world where all kids thrive. And we have um, worked hard in creating that vision. We actually worked hard to get the voice of children um, and not just their parents, because often when people say consumer input, they talk to the parents and the parents talk about car parking more than anything else. But um, we actually interviewed a whole lot of our patients and videoed them and then played that in our sessions in terms of designing our vision for the future and then our strategic plan. Great to be back with you here for another action-packed episode of Humans of Purpose. First off, a big thanks to our season sponsor, Neon Treehouse, for all their wonderful social media support to date. I'm proud to announce that for the next two months, our podcast sponsor is Leadership Victoria. I first learned about Leadership Victoria and their flagship leadership program, the Williamson Program, some years ago through multiple podcast guests who I respect and admire. None more so than Sarah Davies, former CEO of Philanthropy Australia and current CEO of the Alana and Madeline Foundation, who thought as a program alumni that I'd get great benefit from the program. So I took Sarah's advice and I did the program in 2019 and absolutely loved it. I would call it one of the key reasons for holistic development um, that I had to become a better person and leader in the for-purpose sector and beyond. So who is Leadership Victoria and why might that be relevant to you? Well, Leadership Victoria is an innovative, independent social enterprise. Their vision is purposeful leadership for an inclusive, equitable and sustainable society. And they exist to foster leadership that inspires, connects and transforms. I ask you, audience, could you find a better aligned podcast sponsor for what we do here at Humans of Purpose? As part of this sponsorship, I'll have some exciting messages to share over the coming months about the purposeful and impactful work Leadership Victoria is doing in developing purposeful leaders and as a result, shaping a better society. To learn more about Leadership Victoria and their amazing work and programs, just hit the link in our show notes, or you can head to leadershipvictoria.org slash humans of purpose. This week, I bring you my conversation with Bernadette McDonald, who is CEO of the Royal Children's Hospital. Bernadette is a graduate of the Williamson program from way back in 20, 2007, and I think you can get a good sense from our conversation of the value and impact that the program and involvement with Leadership Victoria has had on her leadership journey and the inspiring work she's doing at the Children's. Key takeaways from my conversation with Bernadette are how the voice of young people and their families are really integral to her leadership style, how she's very future-focused but also takes time to slow the pace and spends plenty of time internally on the team and herself around self-oriented and team improvement. Before we get started, a quick reminder that we've just onboarded some terrific new podcast partners that can offer you, our listeners, access to a plethora of amazing discounted products and service opportunities. These are products and services I've approached personally because I use and have grown to love them and think you might too. You'll see leading brands in the suite and in our show notes like Chief Nutrition for protein bars, New Recover for ice baths, Bonnie for a luscious doona or two, and Welly for healthy drinks. Now all on our partners page uh, through the Humans of Purpose website and discounts and links below in our show notes. Hope you enjoy my conversation with Bernadette as much as I did. 
Bernadette, thank you so much for joining me. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. I'm glad it's Friday, to be honest. Me too. Are you looking forward to watching the Blues tonight? I am. I'm actually going tonight, which is great. Oh, lovely. Yep. You, you give yourself a good chance? I uh, hope so. I think it'll be tougher than we think, though. So we'll see how we go. They're always a bit of an ask, Brisbane, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's no, great Definitely. that you're going. Should be fun at Marvel. Yes. Um, I'm so pleased to have you on. And look, I think um, one of the main reasons is this exploration of leadership that we're doing um, in partnership with Leadership Victoria. So really keen to get a sense of your leadership style today and the leadership challenges for the health sector. Sure. Before we do that, why don't we talk a little bit about your journey into um, health leadership, health system leadership, and Mm -hmm. did you always think that you wanted to be in that space? Uh, Well, I sort of, uh, growing up, grew up in health. Um, Excuse me, I always describe it as... um, you know, I grew up running through the halls and the wards of a country hospital. My mum was a nurse there and uh, my dad had uh, chronic renal failure, so he was on dialysis at home. So we had a lot of health experiences growing up. Uh, and uh, so it sort of was inevitable that I went into health. And I often say to people, and young women often don't believe me when I say this, but when I was in year 12 in a country uh, secondary school, the options we had were, you know, you can be a nurse or a teacher. Pretty much, yeah. Um, that right. Shows how old I am, um, but um, and I chose nursing because that was what I knew. And my mum was a nurse, and we had lots of health experiences. So, I sort of health was inevitable. Health leadership, not so much. Uh, I think I I get bored easily, and so like a new challenge on a regular basis, and so have developed that sort of ability to then take on new challenges, and that's what leadership is about, really. And yeah. so, during um, nursing, did you find yourself sort of um, adopting a leadership? role sort of as part of your progression? Yeah, absolutely. In nursing, it's very structured, it's very hierarchical and you sort of, um, you know, are often encouraged to take on the nurse unit manager role or first you're in charge of the shift, you know, and then you get in charge of the ward and then you get the department and then you get the division and then you get the whole, whole hospital uh, eventually. But in nursing, definitely, you're encouraged to do that. Um, I am often described as extremely calm and even though I might not be calm on the inside, I certainly appear calm and that's really important in health um, because often... There's a lot of drama going on around you and so you need to be calm for the patients and calm for their families but also calm for um, the other staff. And so naturally if you're calm in a crisis, leadership is the opportunity, especially in nursing and in health, yeah. Yeah, that's really well said because my next question was going to be sort of how you would describe your own leadership philosophy and I suppose calm isn't a leadership philosophy, it's more maybe a style or an element of your leadership. But if you could just expand a little bit on your own sort of leadership philosophy and how Mm -hmm. um, you've applied that to your role as CEO. Sure. Um, I was. I'm a big Brené Brown fan. So if you if it feels familiar to you, for those who know Brené Brown, um, I like authentic leadership and that vulnerability that goes with authentic leadership. Uh, but also um, connection, connection to people, and connection to purpose, and connecting those two things, people to the purpose as well, uh, is what I'm about and what I'm you know really focused on. Uh, also, to you know, I know people don't say calm is a leadership attribute, but I've actually found, especially in the last three three years with COVID, being calm is actually a really, really good attribute in yeah. leadership uh, and calm in a crisis, but also giving people confidence. So I always talk about connection and calmness and confidence and um, people all the way through. So they're the sort of key components of my leadership approach. And so through exuding calm, do you believe that that directly links to giving others confidence? Yeah, absolutely. They feel confident in the decision you can you know, take a lot of competing, um, you know, agendas and, you know, 
people talking with, you know, over the top of each other and that sort of thing and just calm the situation and then cut through. Mm. So I say, you know, especially through COVID, being calm and then cutting through and getting to what the decision needs to be was what I worked on the most and yep. that's what came to the fore. Uh, and I have some sort of ability to do that apparently yeah. quite well. That's yeah. fantastic. I mean, I think temperature regulation is a funny thing to talk about even in the sort of metaphorical, non-medical context, yeah. but you've also – you know, in Leadership Victoria speak, we'd say that it's it's about controlling the, the temperature, like mm-hmm. understanding mm-hmm. the temperature in the room and being able to modulate yeah. for that is yeah. sort of, they had, had sort of taught me that as a key skill, but I suppose I hadn't really thought about it much as a style or attribute of leadership. Mm. But when you sort of backdrop it against the hospital system pressures and COVID in the past few years, mental health crisis and whatnot, seems like it really would be an important um, attribute. Yeah, yeah. It's um, certainly come to the fore. Um, Absolutely. In the last three years, it's certainly come to the fore. Um, And it's not to say that I am calm all the time. (laughs) There are times when I'm not so calm, but it's actually um, having that calmness and that confidence so people then look at that and take their lead from that. Um, I often talk about with um, my chief operating officer, people who create their own weather patterns and, um, you know, you you see them when they come into a room and they're creating their own weather pattern and, you know, that sort of thing. So um, if you had to describe my weather pattern, it would be, you know, a calm, nice day basically most of the time. Um, But I can elevate that up when necessary. So that's a weather pattern. I think that's a weather pattern your colleagues would enjoy being around as well. Hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the system has been under a lot of challenge the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. What's what, what has sort of been some of those key challenges and, and what keeps you up at night as a CEO these days? Uh, well, interestingly, the thing that keeps me up at night is not health-related mm-hmm. as such. It's actually cybersecurity, oh, right, <laughs> to be yeah. honest. Yep. Um, I think that we are all underestimating uh, the impact of cybercrime and cybersecurity, mm-hmm. and um, it's probably the biggest risk for all of us, especially because we have such valuable, sensitive information, and yep. so that access to that, but also the access that cybercrime is in terms of the integrity of your systems and not always having the guarantee that your systems, uh, the integrity is intact and that, you know, worry that they're not and somebody's changing something and you Mm. don't know about that. That that probably worries me more than anything else, which is sort of sounds funny because we deal with life and death in health and that sort of thing. But I think that becomes part of what we do every day. So that's just normal for us. Mm. I think in terms of the challenges in health, um, everyone's seen it. Workforce is the obvious one. Uh, But I think also too, I was reflecting on this recently, you know, people are still talking about being tired. And I think in my view, that's a proxy for, I don't want to work quite the same way I did before. Yeah. I want to think about this differently going forward. And you think you're changing work um, paradigm? Yeah, I think so. I think it's, and I think that the tiredness and the exhaustion becomes a proxy for that because I know a lot of our workforce are, you know, they, they, they describe it as feeling tired and something's different and I feel really tired and I can't, you know, deal with it the same way I used to. And I think that's true and absolutely honestly what they feel, but they're using tired as the proxy. And Mm. so we have to think differently in terms of well, how do we approach that? What sort of work environment are we creating? And how do we, because the answer is not just more. It's not just more. And there isn't just more Mm. because there's not the resource there or the workforce there to just fill and add more to the system. We have to think differently about how we actually work and what are the systems and processes that we use to take the noise and the frustrations out of the system and make their life and work a bit easier. Uh, So that's 
probably what I'm pondering the most at the moment is so one of the biggest challenges. Interesting challenges to be thinking about. I mean, on the cybersecurity front, I think it's been a harrowing year for most Australians. Mm. I mean, mm. I can speak only from my own experience. I'm the victim of, um, I think, four cyber attacks um, where I was directly leaked my, my personal mm -hmm. information. Mm -hmm. So... I often take the view now, I mean, I had this view before anyway, that, you know, with Google and all the social logins and everything, that basically there's a footprint of you online anyway. But, there is, yeah. but now um, I almost take the opposite view that I have no fear and I just assume everyone knows everything about me all the time, which is kind yeah. of sad because there's that sort of lost sense of privacy that you might have had mm. before. Mm. Yeah, I think I think that's a critical thing and, and I think the data issue and the personal information issues are becoming less of an issue in, mm. in my mind. Mm. But the integrity of our systems and somebody changing something in our systems, yeah. you know, health services have electronic medical records yep. that everything is in and that somebody might be accessing those. Now, I'm not trying to put fear into anyone and say they are, but mm. that is something that we have to guarantee that that can't happen yeah. and that people can't. So that's a, certainly a priority that. for you at Absolutely, the yeah. 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 Absolutely, yeah. And do you think uh, many leaders in the, the health system would have the same sort of emphasis on that, cybersecurity risk and addressing that? I think every health service would have cybersecurity Security risk is one of their main risks. Um, we've got a number one risk in our organisation yeah, and working at that. But it, along with that goes that there's a resource involved in trying to, you know, amp up your security mm. again and again and again and get it up to a level and you can't, um, you don't necessarily have the resource to do that quite yeah. as well as um, you would like to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's um, an interesting thing to be thinking about. And I think um, the other side of the coin in terms of what you're talking about, capacity and workforce issues and how we work, I mean, you've got these sort of countervailing ideas um, sort of crashing as waves upon us in, you know, what what is the role that AI and automation will play? Um, yep. Particularly health is quite an amenable space to that disruption, I think. Yeah. Um, and then there's also, you know, um, probably a bit less so for the health system directly, but the four-day work week is sort of being another, you know, emerging, um, trending topic. What are mm. your thoughts on both? Uh, well, I think that um, if, if I start with the four-day work mm. week, I think that a lot of people are opting to work part-time. Mm. So not necessarily the four-day work yeah, week, but yep. they're going to the part-time sort of and rosters in health. Um, and shift work helps with that. You can, you know, drop a few shifts and manage that. Um uh, if people can afford to do that, of course. Um, but I think for us it's about flexibility because we're a 24-hour-a-day service, 365 days a year. It's flexibility of what sort of shifts do people actually want to work, you know. And so, you know, I want to be able to drop my kids off to school and then pick them up again. And yep. can I get a shift that is that length of time that works that way for me? Hmm. Um, so, you know, we... We need to look at how we create flexibility for people who are not office workers, who are not the knowledge yes. workers, yeah. who aren't working from home. So that's certainly a big challenge for us in health to how we how we look at that and how we do that. Um, and, you know, we've got an industrial environment that we have to work within in health um, that, you know, sets a lot of rules for that as well. Um, in terms of AI and um, machine learning and, you know, the opportunities, there's certainly a lot of opportunities there. But what we've discovered, and we certainly have a centre for health analytics, we're really fortunate at the children's, um, that is starting to get into that space. But, um for us, it's actually, you know, we're very digital at the children's, but it's us actually maximising what we've already got with, and then looking at what we can go into in, in terms of AI and uh, machine learning and into that space as well. I don't think we've maximised what we've got at this point in time. So yep. there's a focus there first. Yeah, well said. Um, what, have, have you seen uh, the Northern's um, virtual ED? 
Uh, well, it's virtual, so no, I haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you got uh, but, me. Yeah, uh, but I've heard all about it. Yeah, we're certainly well and truly aware of that. Um, we're certainly looking at um, options for how we provide uh, specialist uh, knowledge and expertise and capability across the system from a paediatric perspective mm. as well. Um, I don't think it'll be quite the same as Northern's virtual ED, uh, but yeah, definitely yeah, looking in that space from a paediatric perspective. We um, took Marlo there, um, we, well, like to go along with you, we didn't take him there. Yep. We had a consultation yep. and it was actually a really interesting experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was my first taste, I think, of radical um, patient-centred or family-centred mm-hmm. innovation mm-hmm. In, in hospital care in some mm-hmm. time. So mm-hmm. I was quite um, intrigued by that as a sort of first taste of maybe what's to come in the future and in terms of how families and, and parents have a role to play as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I absolutely. Um, it, you know, everything should be absolutely family-centred and patient-centred and um, that's, you know, been around for a long time in health, mm. talked about for a long time. I'm not sure we've embraced it quite in the way that we can yeah. going forward. Um, but also I think COVID gave us a lot of opportunity with telehealth and, um, you know, different ways to provide care that um, aren't necessarily hands-on and you know, you have to come to hospital or come to an ED or yep. come somewhere. So I think there's lots of opportunities to explore there. Just going back to something you said before, just about people wanting to work part-time and sort of change the way they work mm-hmm. a little bit. Do you think that's reflective of people's experiences during the lockdowns and COVID or a shifted values or a desire to prioritise different things that give them pleasure in life? Or, I mean, for me, I mean, my personal reflection would be that COVID was a time when a lot of people uh, thought about what mattered to them and sort of made adjustments to their working life where they could. And um, obviously we've seen a rise in workplace flexibility being a driver for many um, hiring and departure decisions and, and the like. What's your sort of feel for for what has driven some of that change, I guess, p- pushing employees' needs to the fore a little bit in terms of what they look for and like, perhaps prioritising flexibility a little bit? Yeah, I, it's hard to know whether it was already coming hmm. and COVID just sort of exacerbated that or yeah. accelerated that. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there was always a push that was already coming before COVID in terms of flexibility and mm. what can I do and thinking about, you know, how much I actually want to work. But, um, you know, COVID certainly, whether it was coming or not, COVID certainly accelerated that. And lots of people had in a very short space of time the ability to try something differently because they were told they had to. You have to work from home and suddenly I can put the washing out before I start work and yep. I can uh, take the kids to childcare or to school or and I can pick them up and I can do all that. So it just allowed everyone to experiment, I think, and see what, what could work. And then I think a lot of people thought, I really like this and so I want to continue that. Um, and it's been quite difficult. We found it difficult to sort of find the balance of coming back to what was happening before or staying with what we've got and what's that balance because it's different, especially in health, it's different for each team. And I've got a lot of people who cannot work from home. Yeah. Um, even though we've, you know, I've had doctors do ward rounds from home and things like that. Really? So Yeah, junior doctors and things during COVID. So there are ways to do everything, yeah. I think. Um, but generally, most of our workers have to come in. Yep. Um, and so trying to find that balance because then I've got lots of other people in other teams who can work from home. Mm-hmm. So it's trying to find that balance. But I think something's definitely shifted and we all know that. Um, and I'm, I assume... COVID was the catalyst for that, but I'm, you know, I don't know. I think possibly it was already coming. I think we've got different um, generations coming into our workforce and they have different values and um, different sort of wants and needs, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
That's really interesting perception. Changing tax, changing tax slightly. How do you think we're going in terms of meeting the mental health needs of our young people and their parents and families at the moment? I think it's extremely challenging. I think, um, and I have a daughter who's uh, 28 who works in youth mental health, and so I get sort of first-hand accounts in terms of the demand. Uh, I think the system's overwhelmed, and I think that the recognition of mental health issues and concerns is much greater, which is fantastic because, you know, previously we weren't recognising uh, mental health issues as a mental health concern. Yeah. Um, but our ability to respond, um, you know, we've seen our eating disorders demand triple and, um, you know, and that's huge across the system and that's just for us. So, um, but, you know, young people with just general mental health issues that just need some support, I think the system's pretty overwhelmed. Yeah. Yep. And so the, the Royal Commission process that went on and the findings and the implementations, there's still probably some way to go to um, ensuring that we get the, the mix right in terms of capacity, services, um, you know, services in the right setting and location and access, et cetera. Yeah, I think there's a huge amount of change happening and it is happening quite quickly, yep. um, which is great to see. Uh, but it's like anything, you know, um, the, you need the workforce to actually meet the increased capacity yep. that we're trying to create. So um, that takes a bit longer to get the workforce to do that. So that's still a challenge. But yeah, there's a lot of change and it's really fantastic to see. Yeah. One thing that you've been passionate on the record about is incorporating young people's voices more and also the, the voices of the families and parents into decisions um, um, around the healthcare provided mm -hmm. to young people. Mm -hmm. how, is, how are we going on that front and how do you do things um, at, at the Royal Children's to sort of reflect that and prioritise that? Uh, so, um, yeah, it's interesting that I'm on the record. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, we do. And, you know, I am, you know, pretty uh, passionate about that. Um, and, and since coming to the Royal Children's, you know, it's really, I guess, become even more stark to me that, you know, when we think about the future, we often get old people like me around the room to design the future. And actually, the future is not for us. The future is for our children, our, you know, some of our grandchildren, you know, and the children and young people that are, you know, children and young people now. Um, so at the Royal Children's, we've um, got a vision, a new vision, which is a world where all kids thrive. And we have... Um, worked hard in creating that vision. We actually worked hard to get the voice of children um, and not just their parents because often when people say consumer input, they talk to the parents and the parents talk about car parking more than anything else. But um, we actually interviewed a whole lot of our patients and videoed them and then played that in our sessions in terms of designing our vision for the future and then our strategic plan. Uh, and they're very honest. You know, I've got a young patient uh, who's a nine-year-old. I can talk about her. I've got her permission over. Mm -hmm. She's got leukaemia and she sent me a video to tell me what needed to change in the hospital. And mm. um, so we've stayed in touch. And so she keeps, you know, every so often I get a text um, in terms of, Bernadette, you need to think about this now. So, you know, that's just one small example, but we're working hard to start to get the voice of young people in particular. Mm. And they don't want to sit around in a committee. Um, and tell us what, to, you know, in a meeting format. That's Are you kidding? Not, they don't want to be in a committee? They don't want to be in a committee, you know, and that's the traditional consumer yeah, committees yes, that, course. you know, you come and say, well, we're thinking this, what yep. do you think about this? Uh, so we have to think differently. You know, we've got a high school down the road, so let's go and chat to the kids in the high school about what they think about things and what's important to them in the yep. future. Um, and that's, you know, really trying to hear the voice of the young people. And, you know, I did, I was at a health summit recently and I did say, 
you know, we've got every a lot of people here, but we've got no young people. So we had yeah. one young person there yeah. and um, she was 25 and she doesn't really classify as a young person anymore. Yeah. So, um, you know, when we're designing the future and we're thinking about the health system of the future, we have to think about it for these young people who are the adults of the future mm. and what what it is they need and how they think differently and um, what's important to them and for how, the future. I'm mean, curious, how are they different and, like, are they more – open around feedback about around what needs improvement? Do they have different desires for the type of care they receive? What are you kind of observing from some of your conversations with people and feedback? Uh, so, um, well, they're very honest. They're really, really honest, especially the younger they are. Yeah. You can't script a child um, <laughs> is what I found out, which is fantastic. <laughs> um, so um, they're very honest. Uh, they, you know, Novali, who's my uh, little, you know, insider, told me that our food was questionable at the hospital. That so is hilarious. She's great. Questionable she's is questionable. That's one of the best adjectives for food I've heard in some time. Yes, and she's nine, and it was her term. Oh questionable. wow! Did you laugh out loud? Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. She's she's brilliant. Um, so <laughs> you know they're very honest. Uh, I think what's important to them, you know, the environment's hugely important Climate, to them. Yeah. Climate and the environment's hugely important, and. You know, so they want to see us deliver healthcare with that in mind, um, and they want to innovative ways. You know, um, to receive healthcare. You know, Novalee doesn't want to do exercises in her bed with the physio. She wants to get on a scooter and go up and down the ward yep. to exercise. You know, you know, and these are things that we would never think about um, because we just say, "Oh, that's not safe," and we've got to be really careful and manage risk and you know that sort of thing. But in actual fact, she'd exercise more if we let her do that mm. um, rather than you know being bored in bed with exercises. You know, they're just small examples, but. Um, you know, when you actually take the time to ask a question and listen and, you know, we got our, our whole childcare centre and we asked the kids to draw hospitals of the future. Yeah. And so they gave us pictures of, you know, swimming pools and all sorts of things and just like, you know, just a almost Disneyland type thing. I suppose thing, not many you know. of them would look like current hospitals. No, they don't. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, they're just small examples, but when you talk to young, you know, adolescents, um, what's important to them, you know, the environment and um, a safe world for the future and inclusion and diversity, really, really important to yeah. them um, going forward. And, you know, you know, in a, they just, you know, for them, it's not unusual to have a diverse, you know, set of friends or community that they live in. Um, and that's just accepted, but that's not what they, you know, experience everywhere else. So yeah, that's really well said. Yeah, it's really important. To so them. it's a very unique set of different ways of seeing the world, isn't it? And yeah. sort of values and, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so do you carry sort of like into decision-making and strategy and other environments the voice of Novoli when you're thinking about Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. She's um she's with me all the time. I do um staff orientation, you know, a couple of times a month, and I tell Novalee's story because what it does is it brings us back to what why we do what we yeah. do, and um, grounds you all the time because you know it can be frustrating and you know you get caught up in in bureaucracy and decision making and things. But when you bring it back to why we do what we do and the person at the centre of it, which is our patients, our children, and our young people. Um, it just grounds you and, you know, makes you think differently in terms of your focus on that. 
gives you a way to sort of like um, make your North Star a bit more tangible. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's yeah. beautiful. She's fantastic. And so, look, leadership is a massive challenge. I think teaching and understanding leadership is even more of a challenge. Um, I often try and think, oh, is leadership an art or a science? And if it's somewhere in between, how does one teach it? Mm-hmm. So just curious, what, what do you do at the RCH to sort of um, build your leadership capability there if you some of your senior leaders? Uh, so we've got a leadership academy, which is just new, and we're we're really fortunate. The RCH, obviously, our community supports us beautifully through the Good Friday appeal and donations, and so we're we're privileged and fortunate at the Royal Children's Hospital. And we always say thank you to everyone for their support. Uh, but we do have a leadership academy, which has just commenced, and so it's really focused on, um, you know, building that leadership capability at all levels. So it's tailored for different where you are at at your point in your leadership journey and what you need to, you know, you know, leading self, leading others, leading teams, leading departments, leading organizations. Um, you know, they all have different components to them and different aspects. The basics are pretty much the same, but when I'm thinking about decisions for a department versus my local team, I've got to think slightly differently yep. in the way that I go about that. Um, but we also focus on leading self um, because I think reflecting, you know, self-reflection and how I manage myself is really important yeah. and lead myself yeah, yeah, is really important too. So we focus on that as well. That's great. And do you um, are you part of the Leadership Victoria program? Uh, Do you put people through the the Williamson program? Yeah, one of my executives is on this year. So, um, you know, as soon as I came to the children's, I sort of said, well, who wants to do it next? And I don't think they'd had any. Oh, they'd had a few people, a couple of our doctors have done it. Um, So, yeah. Had you done it previously or? The Williamson's community. Yeah, 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 way back in 2007. Oh, fantastic. a long time ago. Yep, yep. Yeah, and so you've seen good results from that. People have enjoyed it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Most organisations that I've been in, they've been, especially in health, you know, I did it when I was um, at Austin Health a long mm. time ago and, um, you know, I had lunch with one of my leadership um, Williamson's um, colleagues today, actually. Oh, um, nice. So we've still maintained contact and um, we still get together every so often. We haven't for quite some time, yep. but, you know, you still main the, maintain those contacts. The the contacts you make there and the relationships you build there are pretty lifelong, to be honest. Well, well now we're both alumni as well yep. from different years too, yep. so there yep. you go. Yep. Um, yeah, I've had the same experience. Certainly mm. um, in my cohort, there was a whole bunch of health people. I think it, it, for the yep. health sector, it's been particularly, um, like, useful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of alumni around from in-health, yep. Yep. Um, so... I mean, I'm curious about sort of major change or innovation at RCH mm-hmm. and if you've got examples of leading major change or innovation recently or mm-hmm. things that are coming up that you're excited about um, that are going to be happening in your space that you can talk about. That I can talk about. Um, <laughs> there's always innovation at the children's. Um, there's, you know, people ask me for examples and I think there's a lot to talk about. There's almost too much there because there's the clinical um, innovation that goes on. Um, the RCH is really good at pushing the edges and the boundaries. Um, and, you know, we've got some world leading clinicians that, um, you know, from a clinical care perspective, mm. are driving change every single day. Yep. And they're well supported um, by our foundation to be able to do that uh, and to try different things and to get different equipment in that is, you know, sort of cutting edge equipment and that sort of thing. So, you know, what What our cardiac surgeons can do is truly amazing and, um, well, any of our surgeons really is truly amazing because tiny, tiny little people, um, you know, our intensive care unit and the equipment they've got, the ventilators and the, the ECMO machines and the way they look after tiny little 
babies and uh, very young children is just always amazing, amazing to me and innovative. Um, but we've got different roles in the organisations. You know, one of the things that's become really apparent and that we sort of talked a lot about through our developing our, our vision and strategic plan is um, the importance of play for children. Mm-hmm. So um, we've got child life therapists that actually, you know, people say their job is to play with children and it is their job to create the opportunity for children <laughs> to play because, when a child is sick, they need to still develop and learn and children learn through play. And so, you know, the children's is a great place for play um, and we want to build on that even further. Yep. And I think people take it for granted, but actually, you know, when a child is unwell but not having a procedure or not, you know, completely unwell that they can't engage in in play, then you need to use those opportunities to keep their learning and development going. Yes. And so, you know, the children's got um, child life therapists that do that, um, which is just fantastic. So there's lots of innovations all over the place. Um, And, you know, we try to facilitate that and keep that environment going. Yeah. And so maybe if I just extend that a little bit. So building an innovation mindset amongst your leadership Mm -hmm. group, are there ways that you do that? Uh, I think it's already there, to be honest. Yep. These are very um, bright, creative minds um, and they have lots and lots of ideas and then it's up to us <laughs> how we can fund most of those things to happen. Yep. Uh, but we want to do it, I think the change that we want is doing it in a bit more structured way sure. um, and in line with our vision and our strategy of, well, you know, what can we do to really help us transform in the next three years um, to, um, you know, um, become the world-leading academic Mm. health science centre and to, um, you know, put the child at the centre of everything we do and incorporate the child voice and the young person's voice much more and then, you know, what is that integrated paediatric health system across Victoria? What's that look like and how can we um, contribute to that as well? So that's where I need us thinking in the innovation space um, going forward. So we just want to direct it a little bit more as well. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. So on a personal front, how do you work on improving as a leader sort of each day, each week, Mm -hmm. each month, each quarter and each year? Sure. You don't have to address all of them, but if there's one that stands out. Yeah, I always talk about leadership from moment to moment. So every day, that sort of moment to moment leadership and reflection and could I have done that better? Um, And you'll get this Leadership Victoria is all about this. Um, Mm. Being curious and stopping myself to actually, you know, be more curious and listen more rather than... um, and then ask questions that actually help with that curiosity rather than get the answer that I want to get. Um, so, you know, that's the sort of daily practice, but also um, the development of not only myself but my executive team in terms of, you know, conscious structured development um, time mm-hmm. for us to do that um, because often we don't do that. You know, an executive meeting will be all business, here's this paper, here's this decision, yep. and actually taking time out on a regular basis to say, okay, let's work on ourselves and let's work on our, ourselves as a team as well. So um, we try to do that. Um, I try to, you know, a lot of it's about reflection and then getting feedback yep. and asking, you know, how did that go? Not just my own perception of it. Um, you know, I chatted with my board chair yesterday in our catch-up, you know, how are things going? Is it all going the way you want it to, that sort of thing. So you have to stop every so often, I think, and just have a look and listen and reflect and say. I think that's something we're particularly bad at as people Mm -hmm. um, and we all need to work on that and just building in. I think there's this sort of um, this efficiency uh, reflection trade-off where sometimes we think, 
being reflective is not being efficient enough mm. and mm. we're kind of um, doing so at a cost to the organisation. But to be really good and to get better, you know, that reflection time matters so much. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. we're not good at it. Mm. We're not good at it because you get caught up in the day-to-day yeah. all the time. A thousand so, emails, yeah. people yep. calling you all the time, wanting answers on X, Y, Z. And yep. I don't think there's enough options or maybe we need to do more of this ourselves to sort of push back and say, look, I'm not ready to give you an answer on that yet. I know there's a deadline. I need more time to think about this. Yeah. And, yep. you know, then we can get a higher quality answer. Yep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Introverts are better at that, at that than extroverts, to yes. be honest. Yes, <laughs> I, need to, I need to channel more of that, I think, that that <laughs> yeah. would be good. Um, how would you like to be thought of as a leader? Sort of, um, you know, it, you may have other chapters in your leadership journey. So, you know, when, when, when it comes to remembering, you know, your leadership style and who you were and what you brought to the table, how would you like people to sort of speak about you as a leader or how would you imagine they would speak about you as a leader? Uh, how would I like them to speak about yeah. me? I, I really want people to, um, I don't give this a huge amount of thought, but um, if I did, I think I'd say that I want them to think that I made things better. Um, and I use the example of I was in Canberra, in Canberra Health Services for just on three years and, you know, they were pretty damaged when I got there. Yeah. And, um, you know, by the time I'd left, you know, they, they had hope for the future. And it doesn't sound like much and three years is a long time. That but, sounds like a lot to me. Yeah. But to shift that, you know, and a lot of people said to me, you know, you just wrapped us up in a big hug um, and took care of us for a little while. And it was really, really hard. It was probably the most challenging leadership job that I've had. But, you know, we gave them some hope. We created hope for the future. And um, so that's what I mean by it doesn't have to be I changed the world or I built a new building or I, you know, got a great big business case up or we got extra funding or anything. It's more about that the people felt there was a change and a difference and that things were better after I'd been there. And so that's what I work to do. So I'm I'm not wrapped up in a great big legacy other than, you know, I left the place better than it was when I got there. Uh, so that's, that's what I look for. Um, yeah. And that's probably what I work towards in no matter what job it is I do. Yeah. You know, that's, that's yeah. really good. That's yeah. really great. And really important too, to just sort of, I like what you said about wrapping the place up in a hug because it mm-hmm. sort of speaks to that, that, you know, when you think about the health of an organisation, often people will say, oh, well, the balance sheet was this before you came and it was this after you left, but that's not what people remember. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I think it's what, you know, ministers and treasury <laughs> true, remember. True, true, true. Yeah. <laughs> and there's certain KPIs that you, you, know, you do have to, um, you know, take on board. But, yeah. you know, I know and we all know that if the organisation culture is great and people mm. feel supported and great, they do a great job. Yeah. And we know in health that quality and safety is improved if um, culture is improved. So, um, you know, whatever way you can do that. Uh, mm. And, you know, it's hard. You know, I've got six and a half thousand people yep. and Canberra had eight and a half thousand people. Mm. Hard to wrap everyone up in a hug, but, you know, in It'll little ways. It'll have to be ways, a huge hug. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> in little ways you can give them hope and give them, you know, a sense that something's different and better. Yeah. Um, and it's not to say the children's is a great place and, it, there's, you know, I would never say that it was, you know, bad before I got there or anything like that. It's great. I have a very you know, a great foundation on which to build and take the next step. Um, so um, Canberra was a little bit different, but, um, you know, there was a lot to do there. But, um, yeah, it's it's about the people because uh, I know that if our staff, if I take care of them, they'll take care of the patients better. Yeah, that's well said. 
So I'm asking this to a fair few leaders who are coming on the podcast lately because it's something I've become a bit obsessed with myself. And I, I think I know which way you might go with it, but I'll ask it nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Does culture eat strategy for breakfast? <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes it does. Um, I don't. I, I know people say that all the time, but I'm. I'm. I don't know. It, I think you have your strategy wrong. If your culture can eat your strategy, then your strategy is not right. So, you know, you've got to work on both because uh, there's no point having great culture and no direction hmm. and nothing to achieve or work towards. So, yeah, it's really a bit yeah. of a tautologist question because you you, you need both. Yeah, so it's yeah. not one or the other. And I think. Yeah, spot on. But I mean, it is very interesting how people choose to answer that because, you know, some will very confidently built out, oh, look, culture is everything and, you know, strategy fits around it. And others yeah. will sort of say, you know, you've got to have the strategy right and then cultural f- cascades around that. So mm-hmm. I think there are different ways to get to the same conclusion that both matter a lot. Yeah. And both need attention. They do. Yeah. yeah. When I, at the end of 2021, well, I just started. And we were thinking we were coming out of COVID um, and uh, we were talking about coming out of COVID and I knew, and the culture was, you know, pretty good. People were feeling okay, tired, exhausted, you know, pretty beaten up by COVID. They actually needed something for the future to look forward to. And it was really important that we started talking about the future and the strategy for the future because it gave them something future focused. Whereas with COVID, it was all about now and what are we doing now and the crisis of COVID and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So they actually needed, you know, some strategy discussions and vision discussions to talk about the future. Uh, and we, you know, have taken our time with developing that, but it was a, a critical way to get people to think differently and th- and start to focus on something else yeah. other than COVID, yeah. which was really important for culture, to it's, be honest. It's a good example, actually. Yeah. A very good example. So w- with all of the 8,500 people and- Six and a half. Six, six and a half thousand, yeah. yeah and, and all your various stakeholders, mm-hmm. um, how do you manage work stress and how do you sort of find time outside of work to sort of keep your, your rhythm and keep cool and calm and well and sort of maintain good health? Sure. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, I walk a lot um, when I can. I've just unfortunately uh, um, the last six months had um, some surgery on a a tumour in my toe of all things and um, was five months in a boot and couldn't walk. And it was the most, it was, it was a really good um, lesson in how much I need to walk <laughs> and need to move. Uh, and that gives me that space to, you know, unwind and think um, about things and reflect. Uh, um, uh, I find, you know, I like, I like to not listen to a lot of things other than some music occasionally because um, as an introvert I, I get overwhelmed with, um, you know, lots of people and as CEO uh, you get overwhelmed with lots of people talking to you nonstop all the time. And so, <laughs> you know, you need some – I can relate to that. Yeah, you need some silence and you need some space. And so, you know, that's one of my strategies is to try and create the opportunities for that, um, which is uh, harder than you think. But – you know, if I can come home to my house that's empty every so often, it's like a blessing. It's oh, I just love great. it. It's nothing so nice. like it. Yeah. It doesn't especially, happen enough. Especially after the clean has been. That's always a really <laughs> good thing too. Um, but I find um, I, 
I probably find that it's much easier for me now because my kids are, you know, 31 and 28. So I'm not in that space of, I remember those days of school and, you know, teenagers and homework and stress and, you know, and so you walked from one busyness into the next busyness Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of people um, that are in that situation. But, you know, I'm lucky because I'm not now. And so, you know, life is a bit more manageable, even though the work stress has got greater. Um, I always find too, having a really good team around you um, makes life a lot easier. So putting a huge amount of effort into the team that I've got takes a lot of the stress away from you, Mm -hmm. um, which is really important, but it takes a long time to get that team together and build that team up. Um, The other thing too is having the, um, you know, I do get to the point where there's a bit of cognitive overload and you know, and things feel like they're out of control um, and I've got a um, person that I call every so often when that, when I get to that point and they just talk me down and, you know, say, it's cognitive overload, this is what's happening and this is why you're feeling like this and let's work through that. And um, And he said to me at one point, you need to go and have some fun. And, you know, I was a bit disappointed because I was like, I don't know what fun is now. I don't know what I enjoy as fun because I hadn't been doing a lot because of my foot. So mm. um, so I'm just re-exploring, well, what is fun and yeah. how do you build fun in yep. um, so that you can actually, you know, have those moments where it's just nothing to do with work and it's just fun and it's silly and it's good and that's the release. So I yeah. love that you said that. I mean, fun, I've been talking to a lot of people about the importance of fun recently. Maybe it sort of reflects play a little bit but yeah. for adults, yeah. but sort of that idea that um, it's very hard to have a thriving team culture and organisation with people in it where there's an absence of fun. Yeah. Um, and we've I think we've come through a period where it has lacked fun at times. Mm-hmm. So mm. just reintroducing that is so important and you can see the impact it has on yourself and others and yeah. it's sort of infectious. Yeah, and the children's is um, the best place in the world to have fun, to be honest. I yeah. know it's a children's hospital yeah. and I shouldn't yeah. probably say yeah. that, but... Yeah. Um, most, um, most of the time, you know, we, we have the perfect excuse to have lots of fun and do lots of fun things. And yesterday was a beautiful example where, you know, may the fourth be with you. And we had all the Star Wars characters (laughs) come to visit, you know, all the, all the patients and their families and things. And the kids had it, you know, and they came to visit the exec on level four and, you know, a few of my exec look like they were nine years old again, I think, you know. Um, so, you know, and it was fun and people laughed and smiled and it was just light and it was not forever. It was just a quick few moments, yep. um, but it just made everyone smile. And at the children's, there's lots of opportunity to make people smile. And so, you know, we've just got to lean into that. Mm. Um, and I've got to lean into that a bit more, you know, and not. We but, both do. Well, yeah. well, let's hold each other accountable. Okay. Next time we meet, we'll ask sure. how much fun we're having. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but I think coming through COVID, you know, we can now have a lot of people on site. Yep. Um, so, you know, Novali, who I talked about before, wanted me mm. to bring the therapy dogs back because we yep. cancelled the therapy dogs. And, you know, the therapy dogs walk around the whole hospital and it's not just the patients who enjoy them, the staff really enjoy them too. You saw so. the commons here. I mean, yeah. just, just the, having the dogs around. Um, and I, I don't look, I, I'm probably biased because I love dogs and we have one, but mm. I, I just think the effect of having dogs around, they make you feel better about everything. Yeah. Because yeah. they're just, they're just these big furry balls of, you know, um, love. Del- delight and love. Yeah. yeah. Like right. a big hug. Yeah. yeah that's right. 
Hey, Bernadette, thanks so much for joining me today. It's been lovely connecting and chatting with you. How can people learn a bit more about the wonderful work of the children's? Uh, just look up Royal Children's Hospital Melbourne and come to our website. Um, there's a huge amount of information uh, and um, about the children's, but there's also a huge amount of information for parents of children who are wondering about, you know, common things and what to do. Um, we've got a lot of uh, children's child health fact sheets and uh, poll, uh, national children's child health poll data that tells us a whole lot of things. So there's a huge amount of information there that's really um, relevant. But if you just want to learn about us or if you want to come and work with us, yeah, <laughs> got to put a plug in recruitment. Oh, look, I'm you know? sure there'd be people out there. We have a big yep. audience who'd love to work for the children's, yeah. Yeah, so we're actively recruiting for just about every role in the place. So Fantastic. Um, if people are interested in that, come to our website and have a look. Hit the um, careers tab. Is that where they'll find the yeah, action? Yeah, careers. Yep. Curious tab, um, but just make contact. Okay, um, is you know we're saying just reach out and um, we'll we'll greet everyone warmly and welcome them to us as well. Wonderful. Well, thank you for being with me. No worries. Cheers. My pleasure. Thanks. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player, and why not share it with a friend or two? If you want more from your Humans of Purpose experience, become a Humans of Purpose member today through our new platform, Supercast. All you need to do is hit the link in our show notes. If you have a message to share with our audience about your brand, products, or services, we have a wide variety of paid promotional packages available. Please get in touch by hitting the link in our show notes.